if you turn in your Bible to the 15th chapter of John, and as you're turning there, I'll start with this. It seems, as I was thinking about it, that over the course of the calendar year, there are warnings that come with every major holiday, and they progress from warnings of don't forget this day to don't hurt yourself to don't hurt others. So like Valentine's Day, don't forget. If you know it's good for you, don't forget it. Mother's Day comes with the same warning. Um, we kind of transition then over to Memorial Day. There's all the uh, requisite, be smart when you grill, be smart when you get your boat out on the water, um, practice good uh, life safety skills when you're getting back into the pool. Um, there's no warnings that come with Father's Day because no one cares. Um, <laughs> You'll get a tie. It'll be fine. Um, There's the warnings that come with July the 4th, which is basically always know which end of the Roman candle is the business end. There's the warnings that come uh, as we get um, closer into the fall. Um, And it's interesting, the warnings that come around um, Halloween... Thanksgiving and Christmas is uh, watch out for those that would uh, look to hurt others. Um, Halloween, you have to watch out for pranksters and other things. Um, Thanksgiving, it's please don't set your deck or your house on fire by deep frying a turkey over an open flame. Then there's Christmas time. And Christmas time has gotten a lot safer in recent years, because of LED light bulbs, I remember growing up that we had the big, fat glass light bulbs on the tree, the ones that would get like just a shade shy of the surface of the sun hot, like as soon as you turn the tree on, and you've got a dead thing in your house. Like this is, a, you've got something that's dead in your house, and you're trying to keep it looking like it's alive until it no longer passes muster of looking like it's alive. With artificial trees, we can get away with keeping our tree up until MLK or Valentine's Day. It's a Valentine's tree, honestly, is what it's called in our home. Um, But if you had a real tree, there was no way. You had pretty much like two or three good weeks out of it, maybe, if you put the right gel pack in the water and your animal didn't steal all the water and your kid didn't spill all the water. See, when things, are, when things get cut off from their root, when they get cut off from their life supply, they can only fake life for so long. Life depends on being tied into the root. Jesus said, life depends on being tied into me. Stand if you would and let's hear the gospel of John. Jesus said, I am the, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. 
You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that, you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, this he may give to you. These things I command you, that you will love one another. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we don't want to pray for pruning, but we also want to be fruitful. And so we trust you as the vine dresser. We trust you that you know what you're doing. And we pray that you would work in us today for our good and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we opened our water bill here at the church, we were kindly notified by the city of Carrollton that we're now under watering restrictions. And so we had to adjust our irrigation system schedule to make sure that we comply because our neighbors will notice if we're not complying. Our landscaper had just put out some new plants for the spring. And it got me thinking a little bit about what it is to cultivate a really pretty landscape or a yardscape. Some of you are really, really good at it. I've seen your yards, and it's evident that you put a lot of care and attention into the work that you do, and it shows. Uh, the flowers that bloom are beautiful. The, um, the landscaping is immaculate. The grass looks fantastic. Um, you are an, an expert landscaper. I am a landscape survivalist, <laughs> meaning that I do what I must do so that at least I'm not the worst landscaping in the neighborhood. And you know how this works, right? There's always that one property that everybody drives by and goes, when are they going to move? And I just hope to not be that property. Like that's really where I am. 
Jesus is using horticulture language here. We're not really a vine uh, and vine dressing culture. We're more of a tree and trunk culture. But try and step into the cultural mindset for just a minute. Because what we see here in the first part of our text is Jesus saying that fruitfulness depends on our rootedness in Christ. And so that means that just like the Christmas tree is not going to do anything apart from its root system, we are not going to do anything apart from being connected to Jesus. Now, when you think about how the Old Testament, because you remember in these seven I am statements of Jesus, there's always been deep connection to the Old Testament. When Jesus talked about being the bread of life, um, they remembered the bread that was showered upon them in the wilderness. He had just fed 5,000. When Jesus talked about being the light of the world, he was standing in the, uh, in the treasury, in the court of the widows where the huge lampstands, where the huge candelabras would be lit every year at the Feast of Booths to remind people that God's true light is the one that shines throughout all the nations. And Jesus stood there and said, I'm the light of the world. When Jesus said that he, um, that he was the door, that he was the one that was guarding the door to the, the, the sheep pen. He was the one that was the way in and the way out of it because Israel's leaders had failed. When he said that he was the good shepherd, he was going to be the one that was going to come and to gather the people of God, gather the flock of God from all the corners of the earth. When Jesus said he was the resurrection and the life, he wasn't talking about a future resurrection. He was saying that I, in person, right now, am that resurrection. Do you believe this, Martha? When Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, he's saying there is no other path to get to the Father but through me. In our text today, there's one more connection to uh, the Old Testament, one more connection to Israel when he says, I am the true vine. But you have to remember something. There, vine imagery was used a lot in the Old Testament. You can see it in Isaiah 5. You can see it in uh, Jeremiah and in Hosea. But in all these different places, when you look in the Old Testament, when you see vine language used, it's always with a tinge of, well, failure. It's always talking about a degenerate Israel. So there's a prevailing sense of regret in the Old Testament texts that refer to Israel as the vine. And look at what Jesus says. He says, I am the true vine. There is no regret in Jesus's teaching here. Now, remember where we are in the Gospel of John. Beginning in John 13, 1, Jesus is now gathered with his disciples in the upper room. They have had the Last Supper together. He is teaching them these kind of final things before his trial, uh, before the Roman authorities and before the council. So it's just for the ears of his disciples now that he is saying these things. He's saying, I am the vine. I am the true vine. 
Jesus has referenced him to himself as the vine is not one of regret, but one of hope. There will finally be a faithful Israel for all the times that God's people have failed, for all of the times that God's people have forgotten him, for all of the times that God has lamented over where his people have gone and what they have done, there will finally be one who will be faithful. And that those who remain in Christ will flourish in his faithfulness. In Jesus saying that he is the true vine, the other thing that he's saying is that if he alone is the true vine, then there is a degree of foolishness to look for life in any other place apart from him. What root and tree trunk is to the life of a tree, Jesus is to human life. Jesus is saying here that he himself in person is the root of it all. He is what life is really all about. And what's more, he says in verse 1, and my father is the vine dresser. His father is the arborist, the orchidist, the vine dresser. His father is the one who is carefully cultivating the field of the people of God. Now look at what it says. In verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, my father, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Just in the same way that those with carefully and beautifully crafted landscapes and gardens are both meticulous and lovingly patient, so God is here with his people. This field... This field of God's people, the church, the church global, the church throughout the ages, this field has a master cultivator who knows exactly what he is doing in his mission to bring beauty out of the field, to bring the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ out of the field so that it would be a resplendent picture of beauty and glory to the Father. And so that it would accomplish its good purposes in the world of drawing people to the beauty of the sun. The vine dresser knows what he's doing. Both in identifying where things are dead and identifying where cuts can bring greater life. So when we moved into our house, we have a tree in the front yard. It's an ash maple tree. And it was in pretty rough shape. And I had an arborist come out and look at the tree. And he could just tell by the way it had been uh, pruned over the years that whoever had done the pruning of the tree had not really known what they were doing. And so his crew spent three and a half hours a three-man crew up in the tree and working all around it, taking off the areas that were dead, removing the areas that were inhibiting its growth so that the tree could flourish. Now, we understand what it's like to take off, um, to take off dead branches off of the tree, but none of us really get what it looks like to go in and take off living branches so that the tree can be healthy.
And this is what it says that God does. We have to believe that God knows what he's doing because those who are not bearing fruit are cut away and those who are bearing fruit will be cut back. And I'm going to be honest with you. This is not something I don't think that any of us actually seeks after. None of us really prays for patience. We don't want, the way, we don't want that to come. And none of us really prays, God, would you, I'm, I feel like I'm flourishing, but I could flourish more. Would you prune me back so that I can flourish more? That's not the way my prayer journal reads. God in his mercy does it. We know, that this be, we know this to be true, that in order for there to be flourishing, there must also be pruning. Even at the cross, Jesus was cut back for us. Resurrection gives us hope that on the other side of the pruning is greater flourishing. It was the love of the Father that brought Jesus back from the dead, and it is the love of the Father that is cultivating the fruit-bearing vine of those rooted in the Son. And look what Jesus says in verse 3. He says to his disciples, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. This word clean um, is also a word for pruned or being pruned or being cut back. They have similar roots there. And so we have a play on words here. Already you are, you are being pruned. Already you are being cut back because of the word that I have spoken to you. Anyone that is paying attention to the word of Christ is already being pruned and cleansed. As we take in Jesus' words, they are good words, but they're not tame or safe words, right? Jesus didn't speak words in order to be inspirational or wise, though they are those things. The word of God, the scripture says, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow. It is a scalpel in the hand of a surgeon. Jesus' words are neither tame nor safe. They are piercing, prodding, pointed words. Jesus' words expose our hearts. And the cleansing that happens to us as followers of Jesus may be through our circumstances or suffering, but it may also be because we hear Jesus' words and are cut by them. That the cuts are not to wound us, it's to heal us. And you know this to be true, don't you? You know this at the times in your life when there has been deep, penetrating words that God has spoken through the scriptures to your own heart. It has revealed sin. It has exposed places where there is not flourishing at all, where there's still death. And it's not for God to shame you, and it's not for God to embarrass you, and it's not for God to, to crush you, but it's so that he would heal you, so that there would be growth, and so that there would be flourishing in your own heart, because God knows what he's doing. We're cleansed by the words of Jesus. We are pruned, we are cut back by the words of Jesus as we hear the good news of the gospel and are saved through Jesus' work alone on our behalf. When we are ingrafted, when we are, when we are um, knit into this vine, right? when we are grafted into this vine, we are being cut back, we are being saved. 
whenever we are under the authoritative teaching and power of the preached word of Christ, we're being cleansed. We're being cleansed whenever we we share the supper of the Lord and are assured of his finished work on our behalf, both for our salvation and for our sanctification. And yes, when we're, we're also cleansed by whatever cutting experiences the vine dresser, the father, allows to be a part of our lives who knows what he's doing and always does what is best. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Verse 4, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. To abide is to make our home with, right? To make our home with Jesus. And, and to bear fruit, to be, to be one that bears fruit, to be, to be one that, that, that draws its life and its, and its um, sustaining power is to be rooted, to be knit in, to be tied to Jesus. And Jesus says, how do you do that? You abide in me as I in you. But to make our home with Jesus is not to say that it's a, well, guys, I can't make the first move until you invite me in. I'm not going to crash the door down. Yes, he does. My heart did not want Jesus in there at all. And because he loved me, he broke down the door and said, I'm moving in. Get over it. Just so we're clear. Because Jesus loved me. That he wasn't going to make me, let me make dumb decisions like saying, no, I don't really need you. Jesus moves in and stays. Jesus moves in and he says, I'm here. I took the initiative. I made the first move. Join me in this new glorious home. The grace of Jesus always precedes our response to him. It always has. It always does. And it always will. And he adds further incentive, right? He says, if we want to be fruit-bearing, if we want to have fruitfulness, we must be at home in Jesus. This is not an optional thing. This is an essential thing. This is not an upgrade package that you can choose to go with or go without. Fruit-bearing is the evidence of being in Jesus. And it depends on being rooted in Christ. So how do we do this, right? How do we actually abide in Jesus and then um, pray that we would see God bear fruit in our lives? There are some practical ideas. Um, I'm not getting ready to give you some sort of um, novel, new, amazing top 10 list of things that you've never heard before. They're pretty obvious things, maybe. Here's a couple ways. In response to the preaching of the word, are we just kind of passively going, sermon's done, fantastic, another one bites the dust? Or are we prayerful responders? Do we ask God to do in us what he has promised that he would do through his word? You see this in the beginning part of John's gospel, right? When Jesus first approaches his disciples, they didn't know yet what was going on, but they invited him to come and and be at home with them, right? They responded to him. 
They responded to Jesus' words and said, come, come and be with us. We're not sure exactly what this means, but we, but we, we like you. We see this again in John 6, where Jesus said in verse 56, the person who is feasting on my flesh and drinking in my blood is making a home with me, and I am making my home with that person. You read it as abide, but it's making home, right? It's at the table where we are practically and tangibly, by having regular table fellowship with Jesus, we are abiding in him. When you study the Bible, when you actually are, are reading the Bible alone, whether it's just uh, memorizing scripture or reading devotionally, we're making our home with Jesus as we seek to obey his word in our lives, not merely observe his word as a ritual. As we move out into the world in faithfulness and obedience, we are abiding in Christ by obeying him and loving the people and places and things that he has said is lovely. This is part of what it looks like to abide in Jesus. And it's all about him. Because look at what he says. He says in verse 5 again, he repeats, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From a, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? So Jesus is saying that what it looks like to abide, what it looks like to bear fruit is to be making your home continually and constantly with Jesus. And so when you have failed in making your home with Jesus, Jesus has not moved out. You can go back to him because his grace always precedes your response. Trust me. Is apart from me, you can do nothing. It's all about him because we're not able to do any of this without him, without his grace, without his spirit at work in our lives. So this means there may be a quantity of things that you can do apart from Jesus, right? You can be a good law-abiding citizen. You can pay your taxes on time and keep your lawn cut so that your neighbors aren't mad at you. You can be a good civil driver on Texas roads and not yell at people or be the cause of people yelling, You can do all of these things, the quantity of these things that you can do, but it's the quality of these things that you can't do apart from Jesus. There is a type of fruit that pleases God and a a type of living that doesn't. And apart from Jesus is the part that doesn't please God. All of your moral works, all of your good driving habits and good lawn care habits and good citizenship habits are fine, but apart from Jesus, they mean nothing. The quality things, the things that matter, we cannot do apart from Jesus. The fruit bearing that matters, we can't do apart from him. According to Augustine, and again, I'll paraphrase here, a branch on a tree is only suitable for one of two things, bearing fruit on the vine or being thrown in the fire. Those are the two things that branches are good for, ultimately, either bearing fruit or being kindling. 
Verse 6, if anyone doesn't abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And again, this is what the vine dresser, this is what the Father is doing for those who are not bearing fruit, for those who are not uh, demonstrating that they are finding their rootedness in Jesus. It's a sober warning. It means that this stuff is real. If Jesus means what he says he means, where he says, I'm the true vine, I'm the root of it all, I'm, I'm what it's really all about. And this is not just a, a this warning is not just a, a attack on or a by the way, but it, it gives the weight and the gravitas to what Jesus is actually saying. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Have you ever been a part of a conversation where it's clear by the person responding to you that they actually had no idea what you were saying, what the conversation was about, simply that there was a lull in speaking and they were supposed to respond. Have you ever had that happen to you before? The spouses are really awkwardly nodding, hoping the peripheral vision's not kicking in. I see you guys out there. It's okay. I'm with you. Ask Jen. When you live at home with someone, when you are truly at home with them, conversation in a healthy environment flows freely and often, right? What is a conversation generally about? Generally, it is a response to what's been spoken, right? So what does, um, what does Jesus say conversation is going to be? Well, look, he gives it right here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Have the conversation and respond to me. Respond to what I'm saying to you. Respond to what I'm doing in you. Talk to me. But most of us, a lot of us, sometimes, um, this is not, well, this isn't what we do, right? We've experienced times where we're, we're praying, we're talking, we're asking God, we're talking about stuff, and we seem to get no response, right? So what are we to make of these promises? Um, I think that when, Je- when we listen to Jesus um, and when we listen to his examples of when he's taught his people how to pray, if you look back in Matthew's gospel and the Sermon on the Mount, when he teaches his, uh, his people to pray the Lord's Prayer, it begins, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? It's a response. It's asking God that he would do what he's doing, that we would, that we would align our hearts with God's heart. Right? You want to see effective prayer happen in your life? Be so bold as to radically align your heart with God's heart. For yourself, that you would bear much fruit. For your neighbors, 
types of prayers that delight the Lord are the ones where our hearts are aligned with his. Verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified. You bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So in verse 8, we see this, that it's not the um, exceptional disciples who bear fruit. How many of you, if you were to identify on, a, uh, on an application and it said, what type of disciple are you? And it said, barely getting by, mediocre, exceptional disciple. How many of you would check an exceptional disciple? Jackie, I'm ignoring you. If we're being honest, we wouldn't really check that. But then we actually go and we give ourselves a break and we say, well, the fruit bearing, the really exceptional stuff is for the exceptional disciples. And we start listing the people. Look at Billy Graham preaching to multitudes and stadiums and drawing people to Jesus. Look at these great missionaries that go out into the world and have these wonderful flourishing missionaries. That's the type of fruit bearing that Jesus is talking about here, isn't it? No, it's not. It's not. Because remember what I said, it's not the quantity, it's the quality. What do you think matters to God? Jesus says it. As the Father has loved me, in verse 9, so I have loved you, abide in my love. Verse 8 is really that transition, it's that turning point. Because there is that expectation that, that we're to bear fruit, and it's not the exceptional ones, it's everyone It's Jesus that determines the quality of the fruit, not the world. Care for our ailing neighbor and stadiums full of converts have the same quality to Jesus. Do you understand this? The little incidental things that you do that you think don't matter because no one sees them, your Father in heaven sees them, and he's the one that determines the value of them, not whether or not anyone else ever notices them in your life. So we really should pause and ask the question, are, are you, if you were to play back the replay of your life over the last five years, the last three years, the last two years, the last six months, are you seeing the fruit of Jesus being born out in your life? Are you seeing God at work in you? Are you seeing something happen in you where you can say, I'm, I'm, I'm not who I should be, but I'm not who I once was, and I'm not who I yet will one day be, but I'm seeing God at work. I'm seeing God bear fruit. I'm seeing that even though things are being pruned and though things are being taken back, I'm still seeing the fruit of the Spirit being brought out in my life. Can we say that this is happening? Even if it's slow going, that's okay. This is the way that God works. See, the problem is, is if there's, if there's non-existent fruit, are you listening today? Are you listening to the words of Jesus? Are you prepared to respond to the words of Jesus? If there's no fruit in your life, is today the day that God is getting your attention and saying, are you ready to talk?
Are you asking why? Are you asking Jesus to show you what might be wrong? Well, I want you to see what fruitfulness does. Fruitfulness displays our rootedness in Christ, right? Fruitfulness displays our rootedness in Christ. Verse 9, listen. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. How did the Father love Jesus? Unconditionally. Completely. How has Jesus loved you? Unconditionally and completely. Therefore, Jesus says, abide in my love. If we were to write a a quick, short footnote to ourselves out beside this verse, it would say this. It would say, if you are in Jesus, relax. Breathe. Don't forget to breathe. Abide in my love because the love that I have for you is the love the Father has for me. Abide in that love. The love that won't fail and won't let you go and won't stop and won't give up. In Sally Lloyd-Jones' Jesus Storybook Bible, the way it translates God's hesed, God's covenant faithfulness, is his never stopping, never giving up, unfailing, always and forever love. That's God's covenant faithfulness. You do this so that your joy would be full, right? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now look, we live in a world that is scrambling for joy because we are at a joy deficit right now. People are scrambling for joy, scrambling for life, scrambling for hope, scrambling for relief, scrambling for anything. And Jesus doesn't say here that he's going to remove your suffering, that he's going to stop pruning you, that he's going to remove whatever may be the thorn in your flesh. But I guarantee you we can join our voices with the Apostle Paul that Jesus' power is made perfect in our weakness. That's joyful. Relaxing and letting the fruit of the Spirit bear out in your life paves the way for the love command. The love that you've experienced, this love you show, right? I was telling some friends the other day that in being on the search committee and talking to ministerial candidates and everything else, there's a couple ways that um, you get soft in terms of how uh, you become a more humble person, a more teachable person, a more pastoral person. And that is either you've experienced tragedy in your own personal life or the church has done it for you. Or you've been beat up and sheep have bitten. And you've been through some really hard stuff. See, that's the way that the spirit works. It's the way that pruning happens is we begin to get cut back so that there can be flourishing. 
And it's this heart for others that is the overflow of the heart that Jesus has for us. Um, I love this, this formulation of the gospel that I read um, the other day. I put it up on my social media thing, whichever thing that was. Um, I said, our, our testimony is not, I was a mess, but then Jesus showed up, and now I've got everything together. It, st- it says instead, no, I was a mess, and I still am, but I'm a mess who belongs to Jesus, a mess he is committed to sorting out. He came to me, he has stuck with me, and continues to be my all in all. I'm a mess, and I continue to be one, but Jesus is going to stick with me. But wait a minute. Just as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved. I'm a mess. Jesus came to me. He's going to stick with me. You see where I kicked myself after, like, oh, that's a really cool quote. Then I looked at verse 12. I was like, Why? Jesus loved you in your messiness and is sticking with you, even though sometimes you kick. You know what it looks like to love others? It looks like to love others in their mess and to stick with them, even though sometimes they kick. It's not, friends, listen, this is not... um, This is not a doable command. This is an impossible command. If you think that you're going to be able to do this without the miraculous, life-changing grace of Jesus in your heart, just let your agenda get interrupted in one day, right? Let your good intentions go unnoticed. Let your downtime get cut short. Let your priorities get conscripted. Let people be people around you. Then try and go and faithfully do what Jesus has said we're to do. But there's something else I want you to see here, too, about verse 12. That you love one another as I have loved you. To love as I have loved you sounds like a description, but it's more than that. It doesn't just mean as, like a standard's been set. Okay, guys, here's the bar. Get to jumping. But it also means from, like a source beneath us. So we're to love out of the deep living resource that is within and below us in our rootedness in Christ. Yes, there was an example, but it's not just that. There is also the fact that Jesus is the source of where this love comes from. It's not the bar that we jump to. It's the power of the spirit within us. You understand? We have undeservedly been loved by an inexhaustible and inexplicably gracious love to ones so of unlovely such as us, and now are called to love from that place like this person to those around us. Do you know why most of the time difficult people are difficult people? Because difficult people are hurting people. Everybody's carrying some kind of burden. So before you go picking fights and labeling us and them, difficult people are hurting people, just like you. 
just like me. So how did the disciples become friends of Jesus? Verses 15 and 16. Sheer grace, I've called you friends. I have chosen you. I've spoken to you. I've hidden nothing from you. There is no other shoe to drop because I've shown you all of my cards as it relates to your salvation. Why were we chosen outside of sheer grace? We were chosen that we would go and bear much visible fruit in and for the sake of the world. Therefore, we are to be in fruit-seeking prayer and engage in fruit-longing and, by God's grace, fruit-bearing mission. This is the life of the church. The visible manifestation of the kingdom of God is through fruit-bearing branches rooted to the vine, tended by the vine dresser, encapsulating the entire world for the glory of God. Praying in the name of Jesus is praying in and for the mission. Those of you that are not from the Southeast do not understand what I'm about to tell you about, but there is a thing in the Southeast called kudzu. Kudzu is awful. Kudzu can only be tamed by fire. They thought it would be a nice ornamental. They were wrong. The church is to be the kudzu of the world. Untamed, unstopping, encapsulating everything. But unlike kudzu, not for the death of everything that it comes in contact with, but for the life of it. This is the heart of what Jesus wants in the world. It's not enough to have the right theology or the right interpretation of Scripture if it does not lead to tangible fruit towards others and towards God. This is what he says in verse 17. These things, that I, these things I command you so that you will love one another. If theology is just an academic discipline, you've missed it. If church is something to check off your box, you've missed it. There's a so that. We are saved from sin. We are saved from death. We are saved from judgment and saved from hell so that we would bear fruit in the world. To the glory of God and the gladness of his people. So I told you in the beginning that I'm a survivalist when it comes to how I cultivate my yard, and that's really not true. I'm just not really into cultivation at all. I just want to do the minimum to get by. It's really what that's all about. I have green things growing in my beds right now. Those are weeds, but they're green. So whatever, it's fine. But what has God invested in his vineyard, in his vine? He has invested the entirety of the life of his son He has put the sun of infinite value as the centerpiece of his global garden that he is cultivating, and he is lovingly, patiently, carefully, and masterfully pruning and paring the vine so that it bears all the fruit that it will yield. Jesus didn't come to make a better you. He came to make a new you. Jesus said, I, I am the true vine. Make your home in the Jesus that has saved you and bear fruit through the grace of Christ that sustains you. There is.
is no other source of life to be had.